singing voice. Um, all right, how are we doing? Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. Uh, my name is Bobby, if I haven't met you yet. And uh, we are in the middle of a series right now on Sundays in the book of Leviticus, which is still an interesting thing to say, but I'm very excited about it. Um, join me in Leviticus 18. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at three chapters today. Now, uh, to kind of give the disclaimers we've been giving, doesn't mean we're going to cover every aspect of all three chapters. We've been looking at Leviticus in chunks, and so the chunk that we're going to look at today is uh, these three chapters, kind of giving the big picture idea here. Um, if you're looking in the pew, uh, Bible in the pew, it's on page 96, uh, but you know, click or turn there in your own Bible. I'll also have them up on the screen. Um, while we're um, doing that, just out of curiosity, I know there's probably, this doesn't relate to probably a lot of people in the room, but maybe one or two of you. How many of you have ever used the map app on your phone to find someplace? Okay, so a couple of you. Um, how many of you would probably be lost someplace if it wasn't for the map app on your thing? So yes, we, you know, gone are the days. Some of you don't know the reality, and I know I'm giving age comments here, but printing out MapQuest pages and uh, not having that app. Or uh, I remember when I was really, really little, uh, our family was going to drive I think to New Jersey or somewhere where family and my dad had this big, huge map of the country and him like trying to figure out where we're going to be. Little did he know how easy would it be just to go, I want to go here, bloop, and then boom, there we go. We use all these navigation apps, whether you use Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze, whatever it is, and they usually make getting where we need to go pretty accessible. Turn here, go this way, go a little bit further, turn again, boom, there you arrive. Then there are the times that they're not helpful. Has anybody ever used one of the apps and actually gotten lost and didn't arrive? Yes, we have that thing. Sometimes you get to a fork in the road and you're like, okay, now what? Where do I go from here? Uh, sometimes they're not even available. You can't even use them. A bunch of us guys went hiking yesterday. We were out by uh, Starve Rock and we got to a point where it was, okay, do we go that way or do we go that way? No one put their phone out. We didn't have reception. It was just, did we go that way or did we go that way? I don't know. Which way do you want to go? And we had no app to help us figure out which direction to go in. Sometimes when we get into those moments, we can just wing it as we did yesterday. Let's go that way and we'll see what happens. Other times we try to make an educated guess based on some type of deduction. Let's, I think this is probably the right way to go. We get this kind of concept of coming to a, a fork in the road, coming to some choices, and having the navigation help us. But what about when those choices, those navigation, aren't necessarily us traveling, but navigating the journey of life? What happens when we get to a specific turn in the road, when we get to a fork in the road, we get to a part of our journey in life, and we get to a spot where we're like, I don't know what to do. Where do I go from here? How do I navigate this issue? Which way do I go with this? What's the right way to go with this? And what's going to get me lost? Wouldn't it be great to have a way to navigate the journey of life, not just as we drive through life? With all of its turns and forks in the road, unexpected detours and ways to go, to have help and to know how do we go? How do we live? this life that God has given us. Well, Leviticus 18 through 20 is what we're looking at today is actually focused on this. It's focused on how do we navigate this life? 
How do we navigate our choices, our daily life, the ins and outs? How do we do what we do? And why do we do it? It's going to help us navigate the turns, the choices, the detours as God's people. And so I think that what we're going to be talking about today is probably one of the most important things that we can talk about as the people of God. The topic that we're discussing today is the most important thing that we can talk about as far as being the people of God and navigating life. Ooh, and figuring out this process of how do we be, and many times that we're going to be talking about today, though it doesn't come up or it's neglected or it's skewed by the reality of the world around us. And so I'm really glad that you're here for today because I think this is one of the most important things for me to consider. Before we jump into it, though, let's pray. God, we do thank you for the fact that you love us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you we can be together, whether here in this room or people who are watching online, just to hear from you and to worship, to be connected with one another. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would be the ones to speak. God, that, my, that people are going to hear my words, but they hear from you. That you would be the one speaking to our hearts. That you, you would be the one navigating us through this. God, I pray that you would use me in open ears, that we would hear from you in a powerful way about what it means to be your people. We just thank you for everything. In your name we pray, amen. So we, we've been covering, like I said, chunks of Leviticus, and we've looked at uh, four different parts so far. Leviticus 1 through 7 is the sacrifices, that God wants us to be with him, that he's made that possible. Leviticus 8 through 10, the priests, that God calls us to represent him, the idea of mediators, that we are to live in grace and surrender to him, showing people what that life is like. That Leviticus 11 to 15, we talked about a spiritual mindset. So using spiritual discernment to strive for faithfulness. Everything on this screen right now, everything we've talked about, has been about them coming to the tabernacle, about them coming to worship, coming to offer sacrifices, coming to be in the presence of God. Then we get to Leviticus 16, what we talked about last week with the Day of Atonement, that God provides the means for us to know forgiveness and grace. The book turns on Leviticus 16. Everything up until that point has been coming to the tabernacle, and now it's changing directions. From here on out, everything is going to be about what happens when they leave the tabernacle, as they go away from this place, and they've offered their sacrifices. Now they're going back to daily life and re the regular rhythms of life. Now what did they do? You've come to offer sacrifices, come to worship, come to be in God's presence. Now, what does it look like to leave forgiven, worshipful, and aware of God's presence? And chapters 18 to 20 begin to really show us what this looks like. Chapters 18 to 20 are called the Holiness Code, and they are one of the central parts of Leviticus. Chapters 18 and 20 frame the, the, the section, and they point to the important word that's in chapter 19, that crucial important topic that we need to talk about today. And like I said, I feel that this is one of the most important topics we can talk about. Have you ever heard about how different companies or organizations will create mission statements that gives you an idea of what their entire uh, existence is about, what they're trying to accomplish? Different life coaches will encourage people or leadership coaches will encourage people to create personal mission statements. 
In the same way corporations do that, as individuals, it's encouraged that we come up with mission statements. Forbes explains why you would do this. They say a personal mission statement describes your convictions, what you stand for, and how you plan to create a life that embodies your values. In other words, it becomes your personal definition of success, one that is separate from the approval of others. I like that idea of what that's about. Consider Leviticus 19, 1 to 2, the personal mission statement of what it means to be the people of God. What we see in Leviticus 19, specifically verse 2, this is the text that we need to come back to, remind ourselves in, rehearse, come back to regularly as what it means to be the people of God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, here it is, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We are called to be a holy people. To be somebody that follows God, to be somebody who says, your life, I'm a Christian, I follow the Lord, I'm a follower of Jesus, I am God's people, I'm, the, I'm a son or daughter of the Most High. Whatever language you want to use for that reality, if that's you, you are called to be a holy person. And this is not a fringe statement, this is not an elective, this is maybe, hey, at some point consider this. Like I said, this is the defining reality of who we are as the people of God. That we would be holy as God is holy. God is holy. It's his character. It's the reality of who he is. He is separate and distinct from all. Perfectly good. Perfectly just. Perfectly loving. Perfectly merciful. Perfectly gracious. Perfect in every way. And he tells us, remember that I am your God. I, I am God, your God. We have covenant with one another. We are in relationship with one another. I have made this possible. And he says, I am good towards you. I am loving. I love you. I am loving towards you. I, my grace and mercy are for you. I am the one who forgives, restores, and renews. I am the one who has completes you. So go live complete. Go be the person who is loved and forgiven and renewed and restored. Be how I've made you to be. Be holy. Because I'm holy. Be holy. Be like me. My goodness, my love, my grace, my mercy, my justice. As I've shown you these things, live these things. Live these things toward others. Be the whole person that I've made you to be. Not anything just common. You are, if you are a follower of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not just a common person. You are a holy person. You are somebody that God has made holy and he wants you to be how he's made you. Made, he has, everything in Leviticus up to this point has made a big deal about the difference between common things and the holy these common elements, and then those, these things that are atoned and made holy. And he's been talking about the tabernacle and how they worship, but now it's, you're the one that's been made holy. 
You are no longer just a common person. You are the people of God. And that means you're a holy person. So be a holy person. Holiness is not about following a set of rules. It's about pursuing God. It's what, it's what think about that whole personal mission language that I used before. Holiness, this should describe our convictions. Being holy should be what we stand for. It's what should, perf- should embody our values. It should define how we live our lives. It's not just a set of rules. It's not a to-do list. It's not a, are you doing everything okay? It's pursuing God and living out that reality in our every day, in our every existence. It's about being with him and his love always. And then living that reality of being with him and his love in everything that we do. And when you look at the rest of Leviticus 19, there are different topics that are addressed. It gets into family. It talks about worship. It talks about business practices. It talks about proper treatment of the poor and the disadvantage. It talks about ritual practices. And then it just talks about interactions in general. When he says be holy as he is holy, he's talking about every aspect of life. It's not just about the hour on Sunday that we're together. It's about 24-7. Be a holy person in everything. Jay Sklar says this, Holiness is not restricted to religious matters. All of life is a stage on which holiness is to be lived out. Holiness isn't just about when we're in this room together. It's about as you walk these streets It's about who you are in and out to be be the person that God has made you to be. I am a holy person, being holy like my God. Bishop J.C. Ryle, writing in the 1800s, he explains holiness as this. And I'm going to read a little bit of chunk of what he wrote. This is actually like an abridged version. But there's just some times where it's like, yeah, he says it better than I could say it. I'm just going to go with what he said. So I want to read you what he said because this is powerful about what it means to be a holy person. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God according as we find his mind described in Scripture. Holiness is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. A holy person will endeavor to shun every known sin and to keep every known commandment. A holy person will strive to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. He will not only live the life of faith in him and draw from him all his daily peace and strength, but it will also labor to have the mind that was in him and to be conformed to his image. A holy person will follow after charity and brotherly kindness. A holy person will follow after temperance and self-denial. A holy person will follow after purity of heart. A holy person will follow after humility. A holy person will follow after a spirit of mercy and benevolence toward others. They will not stand all the day idle. A holy person will not be content with doing no harm, but will try to do good. They'll strive to be useful in their day and generation and to lessen the spiritual wants and misery around them as far as he or she can. A holy person will follow follow after faithfulness in all the duties and relations in life. Holy persons should aim at doing everything well and should be ashamed of allowing themselves to do anything ill if they can help it. And last but not least, a holy person will follow after spiritual mindedness. They'll endeavor to set their affections entirely on things above 
and to hold things on earth with a very loose hand. They will not neglect the business of life that now is, but the first place in their minds and thoughts will be given to the life to come. This is holiness. This is the holy life. And this is why I say this is such an important thing and also why it's a neglected thing because we typically just throw this out periodically about the reality and we think about church, when we're with Christians, worship, things like that. And sure, there's an aspect of that, but holiness is how we conduct our lives. It's how we think of everything. It's why I get passionately corrective about church leaders who would say, we should only talk about Jesus and not about the other stuff because all the other stuff should be saturated with how we think about Jesus. We should be living holy lives in everything that we're doing. Does holiness describe how we navigate our career? Does it describe how we're being a student? Does it describe our singleness or our dating life or our marriage or our parenting? The holiness to describe how you navigate all of it. All of it. All of the different topics that come up in our world. As believers, do we ever ask, what does holiness look like in this? Because we should be asking, what does holiness look like in this? In all of it. Because we are called to be holy people. You are called to be a holy person. And everything that we do, every breath that we breathe, should be a holy moment. We are called to be holy as he is holy. Along with that, we have to realize this. Being holy is countercultural. Being a holy person is a countercultural endeavor. Like I said before, chapters 18 and 20 frame chapter 19. They actually repeat their topics. What we see in 18 and what we see in 20 are very similar. But listen to how chapter 18 starts. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Cana to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were within that culture. God freed them from that. Now they're moving toward the Canaan, and it's a different culture there. And God is saying, you're not of those people, and you're not of those people. Don't follow after how they go about life. He says, verse 4, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If, excuse me, if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now this refrain, this don't be like them, don't be like this culture, be like me, it's mentioned here at the beginning of chapter 18, but the same thing is mentioned at the end of 18, beginning of 20, and the end of 20. It's these bookends on each chapter to say everything in this chapter is about this idea. Don't be like the culture. Be my people. It picks it back up again at the end of 18. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So keep my charge uh, never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. And then when we jump over to verse chapter 20, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The end of 20, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, 
that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I had attested them. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Do you hear that command repeated multiple times in these chapters? Don't be like the people around you. Be holy as I am holy. The cultures where you have been embedded, they don't pursue me, God says. They don't pursue my ways. They're not trying to be like me. They're not valuing the things I value. God is saying, you need to value what I value. You need to do, who, do the things I've commanded you. You need to be like me. Remember, God tells us, you are not a common person. You are a holy person. And that means you need to live holy even when the culture you're in isn't doing that. And this isn't just something that's said in the Old Testament. This very idea is repeated in the New. Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. And so all the different topics that we can see and talk about and debate and wrestle with, whether it's money or relationships, taking a job, how to work, how to dress, sexuality, gender, race, abortion, politics, immigration, and I could keep going on with them. This is where the fork in the road comes in. This is where the choice we have to navigate comes in. How do we navigate these issues? And the culture's way of processing this comes around within things like a person ought to be able to do whatever they want. Whatever makes you happy. It's no one's business. I'm not hurting anyone. Do what you want to do. The person that says they follow Jesus must first and foremost ask, what does holiness look like here? What does holiness look like here? Because I, I know that I'm not always the best discernment of what's best. I don't always think about long term. I think about near term. And I don't think about the reality of my actions. I think about what I want now. And I don't always think about others. I just think about what's easy. My ways aren't always the best ways. But God's ways are perfectly, consistently, always the best ways. And so in this topic, what does holiness look like? This is the thing that we don't talk about. This is the thing that needs to be addressed. Whether it's any of these top, whatever the topic is, big or small, how do I do this as a holy person? We do have a way to process. We do know what our goal is. And that's to be holy as God is holy. It is not always going to be easy. It is not always cut and dry. Sometimes it takes some wrestling with some things. Maybe it takes really digging into scriptures and trying to process what is God saying. There's moments and times where the church has messed up in their explanation of things and we realize that, that people have skewed the reality of how to be the people of God because they're being more like the culture than being the people of God they're called to be. 
And so we have to wrestle with the text and we have to wrestle with scripture and be clear, God is guiding us to be like this and then we have to take that fork. We have to move in that direction. Every decision that we make, every action that we do, everything, there's always more than one option and we're always saying no to something. We're always rejecting something. We're always moving away from something. But as a person who follows God, we never reject him. We never say no to him. We never go away from him. We never go away from him. We move toward him. We say yes to him. We pursue him in everything. And again, it's not always easy. But we have to realize that this is a life that we've been called to, and it's different than the common life of the world around us. We cannot be flippant. We cannot be apathetic. We need to be holy as God is holy. And that goes against the culture many times. This is so important, not just for ourselves. And, the re and why this is so important isn't just about our experience with the Lord, but the reality of how others experience him as well. That's the last thing within this, is that holy living is done amongst people, not separate from them. Holy living is done amongst people, not separate from them. Throughout these three chapters, through all of Leviticus 18 through 20, there is a huge emphasis on community, about how we engage others and interact with others. Chapters 18 and 20, with their bookend statements and not, about not being like the culture, but being holy as God is holy, they both deal primarily with issues of sexual sin and not offering children to the false god Molech. The overarching theme within why these things are brought up is that these sins of incest and unrestrained sexual relations do harm to the family unit, which in turn harms the community. When people are told to be fruitful and multiply, you can't do that when these things are permitted. And sacrificing children like the other cultures did would obviously be catastrophic to the community. Within those chapters, it's you need to care about where you've been placed, it's more than you. And that's countercultural. It's more than just me. My actions ripple effect to the, not only my family, but the community that I'm in. And the people of God are supposed to care about that. And so this whole chapter is framed within the idea that holiness is about how we live amongst people. Everything, almost everything mentioned in Leviticus chapter 19 has to do with how somebody engages other people, culminating in the ultimate command within the entire chapter, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. Somebody came to Jesus one day and said, what are the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting Leviticus here. This is one of the biggest things. And it isn't just, we'll love the person, like pat on the back, huggy, that it's to love a person is to be holy toward them. It's to live and be the person God's made us to be. If he's perfectly good, gracious, merciful, just, and all these things, loving my neighbor as myself is being that person to them. How do I love them in the way God has loved them? We cannot separate our religious life from other aspects of life because all of life is religious. And that includes every interaction 
that we have. We can't separate how we interact with God from how we interact with people because God is saying to love me carries over into how you love people. We have to love him with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourself. 1 John says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The New Testament, how they will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, based on how you love one another and how you loved. How do you interact with the people around you? Jay Scar says this, far from being an abstract concept, holiness is to be a reality fleshed out in relationships. Holiness takes on a relational and experiential meaning. It is not just a quality or power associated with the divine being. Holiness is manifest in relationships characterized by integrity, honesty, faithfulness, and love. Stated simply, holiness becomes real as we live out God, the Lord's love to others. This is why Jesus tells us, love one another in this way, that people would experience God's holiness in how we live holy lives toward others. This is why it is so dismal and evil the way sometimes our leaders in this country act and treat one another. For our politicians to say and claim Christianity and then talk about other people the way that they do is an unholy evil act. For anyone to say that they love God and then to talk and refer to and interact with others the way that we can see happen is an unholy and therefore evil act. How we engage and interact and connect with one another matters. I'm not saying, yes, there's a place that we, it's not that, not that we're walking around condemning everything in the world and pointing out everything in the world, though there is a time and place for that and it's necessary. But we are called to intentionally be holy. How am I acting? How am I living? How am I navigating my life? And does it reflect God's love? Does it reflect his holiness in what I do and how I engage other people? This is why Jesus told us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father as in heaven. Because when we live holy lives, the light of Jesus shines in the darkness. We, we, we bring light into dark places when we live holy lives. There are so many people who talk about why they reject God, why they won't, don't want anything to do with him. And many times, there's a lot of different arguments for that, but many times the reason is, is because of what they see in Christians. How, why would I have anything to do with him if that's what following him looks like? And people reject God because of the unholy ac actions of his followers. And that's the problem, is that we have people, we, and we have, again, we have to check our hearts, and we have to check our lives, and we have to be mindful of how we live, because it's very easy to point at those things, and they should be pointed out. But how do I do the same thing? Because how I live is going to scream the reality of God or it's going to skew the reality of God. 
that's going to proclaim the truth of who he is and shine light in the darkness, or it's going to repel people. It's one thing for people not to want to admit their sin, not want to admit surrender, not want, that's a different thing. But for people to look at us and how we live and how we go about things and how we treat other people and go, if that's what God is asking for, I don't want anything to do with that, then now it's on us. And we are called to be holy in how we engage and interact with one another. And so think about that classmate. Think about that coworker. Think about that neighbor. Think about that person who you don't agree with anything of how they're living. You do not need to agree with how they're living to be a holy person toward them. Simply because a person acts unholy doesn't give you permission to be unholy. We have to be holy as God has called us to be holy. And so what does it look like to do that within the relationships where God has placed you? Because that's yours. You have a circle of influence. You have a place where you are living in a place, working in a place, going in school in a place, wherever God has placed you, where God said, and I need you to put the light on there. And I need you to shine the light here. I need you to show them who I am here. I need them to see me through you here. And so what does that look like? And the reality is all of us, when we hear this, to hear talk about holiness and hear about holiness is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing because we realize the moments that we haven't done it. We talk, we th- realize the ways in which we have failed in those areas. And we do need to. And we need to mourn those moments. And at the same time, we need to realize, he says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so it's, God, forgive me. Show me how to not do this. God, forgive me. Show me how to be holy. God, forgive me. Show me how to reflect your love to the world around me. And so we do. I hope that you're sitting in here as the people of God and realizing, man, I am not holy in this. Not to beat ourselves up, not to make ourselves feel horrible, not to walk out of here like, oh man, I feel horrible at church now. No, to realize God has called us to something better. God has called us to be better. God has called us to not be common. God has said, I trust you to be a loving, gracious, forgiving person. So go do that. I've trusted you to represent me, so go do that. I've trusted you to be light in the darkness, so go do that. We have been charged to be the people of God in this dark city, so go be that person. God believes that you can do it. Why? Not because of you, but because he's with you. So go be that person. We need to walk out of here charged and feeling called and knowing the reality that God loves us. He forgives us. He's given us life. And he wants us to be holy as he is holy. He's counting on it that we would be people to show this world how amazing his is, how amazing his, he is, how amazing his grace is, and the life that he calls us to. And so be holy because he's holy. Let's pray together. God, you are good and you are holy. God, we bring our failures before you. We bring the moments when we do not live holy before you. We bring the moments of compromise or apathy or whatever it might be. And God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our failure. We, we, we 
beg for your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. And we're thankful, God. With joy, we're thankful that you forgive and you restore and you make new. So we leave here, God, new with you. God, guide us in discernment. Guide us in wisdom. Help us to be holy. Help us to see the power and the goodness that you offer the world, the, the, the good life, the complete life, the whole life which you offer. God, I pray that we would show that to others. God, for those who need you, who don't know the life with you, God, for those who have seen this life lived out in horrible ways, I pray that you would show them the truth of who you are and you would call them to you and that today would be the day that they find life. God, speak to all of our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with this last song.